Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. Before is where we're going this morning for uh, the first part of this message. Uh, love the Bible. It's amazing how scripture uh, in the Bible can uh, dictate a lot of different areas and avenues to go down when preaching. You know what I mean? Like it can, it can really hit you in a lot of different ways. And I, I, I've preached up here and heard people say afterwards, that really hit me, but it didn't hit me what you were saying. For some reason, uh, the verse that you went through at that particular, you know, the topic of the message. It, it was the verse you went through, brought me there, thought me, uh, made me think of something, and I really got blessed, or I really got uh, um, corrected, or I really got some guidance, you know, or something through that. So it's amazing, isn't it, how Scripture works? And a lot of times uh, we don't give it enough credit, to be honest with you. We put a lot of credit in the man behind the pulpit and the way he presents it, and I want to be very careful never to take any credit for anything that I say up here because I know that I'm a very literate um, preacher who's just trying to do his best to serve Christ and especially to take care of this church the best way I can as he, uh, as he takes me here and takes me out of here. So the altar call, I want to just share a little bit about that today because it's important I think for us to know that because of it's one of the most contested issues in the independent fundamental movement is the altar call. And I want to I want to share with you, I'm going to try to share with you from scripture why I believe it's important and how I have witnessed things throughout life, um, in my life in ministry, that are beyond um, supernatural that God has done at this at this altar. And by the way, this isn't an altar where we sacrifice animals, right? That's not what I'm talking about. It's just a reference, an altar call. Uh, Jim, Billy Graham used to give them. He used to be um, criticized for them. Um, and there are some things in that call that he did that I would question because I was a part of it one time. Um, I don't know how many of you know that, but I was a part of uh, Billy Graham Crusade in, in my earlier years as God was developing and developing me. I had a dinner with George Beverly Shea, prayed with him, and, and uh, Ralph Bell was with him for a little bit and a couple unique individuals through all of that. Uh, but the altar call is just very, very important. So let me just pray quick because I need God to carry me through this right now. I'm not sure why the heavy burden, uh, what it is. Uh, it must be something I'm about to say. I don't know. Uh, but I want Christ to be uh, elevated and I want him to lift me up as we attempt to lift him up. So Father, thank you. Lord, you know the times I need to be carried. This is one of those times. Um, and you know that what's on my heart, Lord, is... Uh, heavy, and uh, I, I don't know why, uh, but I'll, I know that I'll find out in hindsight, and I know that you'll be, uh, you will honor yourself through it, and I'm glad about that, but I don't want that heavy spirit to come across in the wrong way to this body of believers. I am joyful in the spirit for all that you've done and continue to do with me and this church and, and what you're going to do in these days ahead, 
Uh, I want you to know that, Lord, my joy has never gone away from the very first day that you saved me. And I pray that joy would come through my message and the importance of the altar call and how lives have been changed. Hundreds of lives have been changed there. And we'll just thank you for uh, my attempt. But Lord, just take it and use it for your glory. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 2 Samuel 24. Uh, I'm going to kind of try to do something here. I, 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 I don't want to go through the whole thing. That's why I didn't have guys read it this morning. I just want to try to... Uh, show you some points about why altar calls are so important and uh, we actually the the message I'm giving in the afternoon uh, at five o'clock is actually the one I usually would give in reverse but for some reason God reversed that on me whenever uh, I'm out of the side of that comfort zone that I like when I want to do something God changes it always maybe that's the reason it's heavy I don't know but it, he says this if you look back at verse 10 now David had uh, numbered of people, and they and uh, and it was and God had caused him actually to do that. He actually told him to do it, but then punished him after he did it, right? Because he needed to establish a point. So a lot of times God does things like that that are beyond our comprehension. We don't know why He does it, but He does do that sometimes. It's even happened to me at times. He's told me to, I believe, to do something. It didn't end up being what I thought it would be, but then God used it later. Right to make a, a vivid point into my own heart and to, and to those I was talking to. But if you notice, in, after you numbered, it says in verse 10, David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquities of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. All right. If you look down, uh, God gives him three options, you know, as far as his punishment, seven years in verse 13 a famine, or three months be, uh, before thine enemies, or three days of pestilence. David makes a, a great decision here. He says, let us, in verse 14, he says, let us all fall now into the hand of the Lord, right? For his mercies are great, and let me not fall into the hand of man. And I want to tell you something that is very scary for me sometimes, and I think for a lot of people, is to put your hands in an all-consuming fire and just say, you, you do with me what you want, Lord, uh, because it's not always a path we want to go down, or Think something that we enjoy. Anyway, so the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel in verse 15, and uh, then all of a sudden the Lord had sort of a, um, a change of mind, and even though he doesn't change, he just knows what he's doing, and he just said, it's enough, we've done enough here uh, in, uh, in punishment. And he says, and then David spake unto the Lord again in verse 17, and said, lo, I have sinned, and I have done wickedly, but this but these sheep, right? What have they done? Let thine hand pray thee be uh, against me and against my father's house, right? So I know that standing in this pulpit, a lot of times as a, as a preacher, I am accountable for all of you. And a lot of times if I see something I haven't done correctly and it affects somebody negatively, negatively, um, I, it bothers me. Like, why, would, why do they have to pay for something I did that was uh, foolish? I understand a little bit about what David feels here. But then I want to pick it up here. And, and Gad came that day to David and said unto him, Go up, rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. David, according to the saying of Gad, he did it. He went up. And look what it says there. As the Lord commanded. And Aruna looked and saw the king and the servants coming 
on towards him, and Aruna went out and loved himself before, um, bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground, and he said, "Wherefore is my lord the king come to this servant? You know, what? what why would you be coming to me?" In other words, what he was saying is, "We got this. You're going to see in a moment. We got this land. You just take it. I mean, it's, I, you can have it. I mean, you have that right." And uh, and David said to buy the threshing uh, floor of thee to build an altar unto the Lord. And look what it says, that the people may be stayed, uh, that the uh, plague may be stayed from the people. Sorry, I'm holding up there. I don't see it as well because of light. And Aruna said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here be oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing instruments and other instruments of the uh, oxen for wood. And all these things that Aruna, as a king, give unto the king. And Aruna said unto the king, the Lord thy God accept thee. And the king said unto Aruna, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price, neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. Now I could go, uh, I, I could expound on that, upon that verse and I could make a whole message about that, but we're not going to do that this morning. So I want to be very clear and care, make you carefully aware that I'm, I'm trying to develop an illustration, Okay. So um, I'm not going to defy scripture. I just want you to see I'm trying to develop something. And so David bought the threshing floor and the oxen of 50 shekels of silver, and David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered the burnt offerings and peace offerings. And look what the last line says. So the Lord was entreated. He was pleased for the land. He was given the land, and the plague was stayed from Israel. Quite a story, isn't it? Now, there's stories all throughout the Bible like this that we never preach on. Uh, um, that, and there's one I, I just picked up the other day as I was doing my morning Bible study. I said, I'm going to preach that message. I'd never heard anything like it. Um, I'll probably preach it, and you'll say, well, that, I don't really know, you know, but anyways. There's a popular saying out there that is, um, the, the world uses often. It says, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Have you ever heard that saying? Um, what does that mean? Well, it means that when someone wants to escape the consequences of their indiscretions and their foolishness, right, they can come to Vegas. And then no one will find out because they're not going to tell anybody. So it was a tourism slogan penned to give the impression that you can do anything you want to do in Vegas and no one would know. The only part they forget about is there's a God who knows. There's a God who always knows. That's a lot like when I talk about altar calls, that's a lot what's happened. There's a lot going on in people's hearts that none of you know about, but they know about. They're dealing with it between them and their God. And when an altar is open, or what we call the, you know, the invitation is open, they just need to get to God as quickly as they can. Um, now, in a way, the altar call is a place where private interactions are made with God concerning indiscretions sometimes, or needful directions. Uh, it could be a, a multitude of things, and it's a place to be honest with God. So it's a place where you're looking for God's intervention, and usually there's a sense of urgency. So what happened here at the altar was David begged for God to intervene for his nation to stop the pestilence that he himself had caused by numbering Israel, and God mercifully and miraculously granted him his request and stayed. Uh, stayed the, the, uh, the um, pestilence. So, uh, now, here's what I'm trying to say. 
it's, it's, like, um, it's like he had a mercy seat meeting with God. Um, there was an urgent need. Lives were at stake. He needed to meet with God, and, and he got his request. He presented it before the Lord, and he, and he actually moved the arm of God, and it stopped the plague. Can you imagine what David once felt like when it stopped? All right. A lot of times at an altar call, it stops. That's where it ends, right there. It's left at the altar, and, and you never have to deal with that thing again. So you see where I'm going with this. So that's what happened at altar, that's, happens at altar calls, and yet many churches are not promoting them anymore. Why not? Well, as a matter of fact, some are actually totally against them. Um, I, I find that interesting. And the reason I do is considering how successful the altar call actually is. Um, I, can, I'm a, I, I can verify it. <laughs> you know, with my test, the testimonies that I've seen in the almost 30 years of being in the pulpit. So according to 1 Chronicles 22.1, this was the same threshing floor that would become the place of the future temple. Also interesting here is that it, this was the same general spot where Abraham offered up Isaac, right? But most importantly, it is here on this spot that Jesus would be crucified, right? It was right in that uh, vicinity. It is here where our advocate from heaven became our substitute, right? So that we could have a way back to God. So Mount Moriah is the hilltop where the temple was built. Golgotha is just a rock, what I call rock outcropping atop of Moriah, adjacent to the site where the temple was built. In other words, where, where Jesus got crucified was not far from where the temple was. And if you go to Israel, you would know that. It just kind of goes, it's just a little bit outside of the, the walled city. And so God, it, it, whether you believe it's the one place or the other, they know it's one of the two, but whether, whichever place you believe, it doesn't matter. It's still within a very short distance of walking. So God ordained and uh, uh, this place is a meeting place between God and man, and this place is as holy as it gets. In other words, when, when you step in that area or walk around that area in Israel, it literally feels like you're walking on holy ground. It really does. It just represents a desire, right, to, be with, to hear from God and to be with God. So just standing there, you feel unworthy. You feel like you, you, feel like you should take your shoes off or do something, you know. just feels like you've got to do something to to get God's attention and let them know that you love them and we're grateful and this is holy and you're allowing me to do this. And again, it's got the idea of an altar call, coming to God. So David had sinned, but he did the right thing by coming to God, looking for mercy, and he did it quickly. And the first thing David did to stop the plague was to build an altar. Now, you got to listen clear, clearly to what I'm about to say, right? When God gave instructions for making the mercy seat, do you remember that in Exodus 25, verse 22? The seat that would cover the ark, he said this, and it's sort of like an altar, an altar uh, appearance. He said, there will I meet thee, and I will commune with thee. It is there that I'll do that. Now, we understand now with Jesus Christ, if you know him as your Savior... Right? You can commune with him at any time. You don't have to go to an altar to do that. So please don't misunderstand me, all right? When I bring in a lot of the Old Testament with the New Testament. But who wouldn't want to meet God right now? Is anybody in here? I don't want to meet him. I don't want to even, you know? Everybody would, I would think, would want to at least meet him, except for uh, if you're in sin. That might change it a little bit. Uh, well, the truth is, there are many reasons why people wouldn't want to meet with God right now. There's many reasons why. 
Well, first reason people don't want to meet him privately, want to meet privately with the Holy God at the altar is because they have unconfessed and undealt with sin. And uh, it's scary. They realize they can't fool God and they don't really want to be in the same room with him at that point. The thought of meeting a holy God with their sinful state not only scares them, makes them a little bit afraid, afraid of what it'll do. Therefore, it makes them feel also guilty. It makes them feel filthy. So people who don't have their lives in order, God, uh, they usually don't want God uh, coming in on that and revealing all this stuff. And they, sh- and they certainly don't want to meet God at an altar. So they don't go forward. You know why? For God is a consuming fire. He is a fearful thing. To, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's what it says. It would be like, I, I, I use this illustration, but I think if um, it would be like the way you'd feel if someone took your phone, figured out your password, and then saw what you've really been looking at or what you've really been posting but didn't want them to see. It would be embarrassing to say the least. And you'd feel guilty, especially if you're calling yourself a professing Christian. By the way, I encourage uh, marital couples, married couples, uh, to make sure they have their spouse's passwords, every electronic device they have, so that at any time, either one of them can go through it and see exactly what's being posted. Right? That way it keeps you accountable. Because you know why? Because we're human beings. And it's a cesspool of filthy temptations on that internet right now. Mm-hmm. Then the second pre- reason people don't want to meet God at an altar is they, they don't think it's necessary. They just don't think it's necessary. They don't believe it will accomplish anything, and they think those who do it are weak or maybe emotionally unstable, and they just got to get up there, you know. And that, but, but, and that brings me to the third reason. The third reason is it's just a prideful thing. In other words, I'm not going to go to that altar. I don't, I don't care what you say in your, in your invitation. I don't care. Going to the front of the church might give away that I need help. I don't want people to know that I need help. Now, they are surely don't want you to think that they are weak or that they're vulnerable or, or by kneeling down in front of everybody in the church, you know, they have a, a really bad sin that they're dealing with. So you see where I'm going with all of this? That's why it's so hard. Now, last week we had, a, we had an altar call, and it was, it was pretty impressive. And I don't mean that as that's going to happen every week, and, and I don't mean that, you know, that uh, we should try to get people. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about what happens at the altar. There are plenty of reasons why we wouldn't want to go to an altar, but there are a few reasons why it's still important to do so. And that's why I want to try to, to, to elaborate on now. Right now, uh, and, and I should say right off the bat, Critics will say this. This is what they'll say. Altars are Old Testament things. The altar is now our hearts. Jesus now meets us as our advocate, intercessor, and great high priest to God. I know, I know that, okay? Uh, I'm, I got a little bit of sense up here. I know that, and I know that he is. But nowhere does the Bible say he replaces or removes the cries that happen at an altar. Nowhere does it say that. So whether it be an Old Testament ark or a New Testament heart... <laughs> You know, Romans 10, uh, 10, 13 is always the same, right? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? You could take it further than that. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will get an answer from God, right? But it's got to be a sincere call. So the Holy Spirit, I think you know this, right? Um, 
The Holy Spirit, there are those who will say as believers that we have the Holy Spirit to convict us, correct us, change us, all that stuff. And we don't need to go to the front of the church. And this is also very true. Right? So I gotta just verify that. Uh, the Holy Spirit is our exponent and expounder. And what I mean by that is it simply means he takes our prayers, presents them to God in a, an acceptable way as our exponent. And then uh, uh, for, so God can hear our, from a sinful man. And, and then he expounds to our hearts and minds what the Word of God says so we can hear and understand what God is actually saying to us. You know, because it would be hard to understand. Without, and, and I might say this, too. I might interject this. You need to be saved. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not going to get the things off of the Word of God that you need to get because you haven't got the Holy Spirit living within you. So the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which, I can, which cannot be altered. So I don't, think, I don't think right now, as I attempt to give you the points, um, I don't think I'm preaching heresy when I say the purpose and action behind the altar call isn't any different now than it was in the Old Testament. God gave altars in the Old Testament to speak to those who are putting their faith in their coming Lord and Savior, and we have altar calls now uh, in the same way uh, that we put our, in the New Testament, where we put our faith into already, the already given Lord and Savior. So the purpose of the Old Testament and the New Testament is for the same reasons. It's always been the same reason. That's to lead us to God through Jesus Christ. So it's all going to point to Jesus. Everything's always going to point to here. So here's what I mean. Aside from all the obvious differences of the Old Testament altar where the sacrificial blood offerings were given or offered, right, secured our temporary remission of sins and gave us a reprieve from God's wrath against sin, the New Testament altar at Calvary is like it, whether uh, where the sacrificial blood of, the Jesus, of Jesus Christ secured us our permanent remission of sins, satisfying the wrath of God forever. All right, so we got that. Have we put those things in order right now? So our actions concerning it, though, and towards it are still the same. We're coming to a holy God, and we're coming crying out to him for his intervention. So what are the reasons behind the cause of the altar and the call of God uh, that he requires, or, or I should say the, the call we make to God, uh, and, and, he, and he presents to us at an altar call. So here's, here's what I'm going to give you, and we're through. Number one is this, and I encourage you to come back next week, or next, tonight, not next week, tonight, because there's seven things that you need to, that fit into this, right? Number one is the first lesson is simple. God promised to communicate to us at altars. Well, sure, he does communicate to us through Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about that. Um, so I'm not taking away from that. I'm just saying he promised to communicate with his creatures at altars. Um, at altars are the meeting places God designed to meet with you personally concerning your sins or your unbelief. Um, he, he initiated them. Altars were for humble and honest responses, face-to-face -face meetings with your God. Right? So we come honestly, and we come sincerely, and we come humbly to a holy God. Exodus 25, 21 through 22 says this, And thou shalt put the mercy seat above, the, uh, above upon the ark, and, the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee, and there will I meet thee. But he goes on, he says, And I'll communion with you. I'll commune with thee. So in, think about what David did. In, in seeing 
the suffering and death brought on by the plague, David felt he had, that he had caused. What did he do? He needed to get to God as quickly as he could. And he confessed to God. Look at verse 17 again. David spake unto the Lord when he saw the angel and, smote, and that smote the people. And he said, Lo, I have sinned. I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let my, thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. That's a prayer. That's a humble prayer. That's a very humble prayer. So Jesus promises there are... T- you ever think about this? He promises that where two or more are gathered, there he is in the midst. So he's here right now. We know that, right? We know this. And we are confident he is. And especially this morning. He's right here while I'm preaching this message. But the altar upon which I stand right, is a, is a place where Jesus is calling you to meet with you on a more private and a more personal level. Right? Just, a more, just a more private and a more personal level. It's a call to action, I call it, to do business with God before he does business with you. For your actions or your inactions concerning his commands. Right? Usually when the Holy Spirit prompts something on your heart, you feel you need to do something. And an altar is an action, it's a physical action where you get up out of your seat and you walk down and you kneel down to the altar. So the, the critics say altar calls make conversions look like the works of man, but the fact is just the opposite. They are the work of God drawing you to take action on a particular issue as to avoid further heartache. That's all it is. I, I, I can't force anyone down the aisle. Do you understand that? Uh, someone said to me last week, well, that's, that's, uh, that was an altar call that brought a lot of people down, and uh, we haven't seen that since you began. I wasn't offended by that. Just God moved in that particular moment and brought people down the aisle. Uh, when Izagani was here, he, he gave a message, and a lot of people came down the aisle. Uh, so I can't force anyone down the aisle with my words, and I'd be a heretic to think that I could. So it's more of an invitation to take action according to the prompting of the Holy Ghost in response to the Word of God that's preached than it is to anything I said or any type of persuasion tactics I could possibly come up with to get you out of your seat and get you down to the altar. So Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we, we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So he just... At that moment, it's just he wants to communicate with you about something. And you usually know it. Nobody else knows it, like I said earlier. It's just you and God. Second reason is God promises to change things at the altar. He promises to change things for us at the altars, at the altar, altar calls. So, and God gave that same day to David and said unto him, Go up, rear up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Aruna, uh, the Jebusite, and David did according as the Lord had commanded. So notice David did it as the Lord commanded. There are just some things that we've tried. Now think about this. We've tried and tried and tried over and over again to change. And we've prayed about it. We've done everything possible to try to get it to change, and it never changes, and you never see the results. But it's some... At some point, it seems to me, like at altar calls, Jesus changes things sometimes that you couldn't change. 
You've been fighting with it, struggling with it, and it's just for some reason when you finally humble yourself enough to go up before people and get to this altar, uh, all of a sudden something changes. So, so when Aruna saw David coming in, he asked David his purpose in coming. David informed him that he had come to buy his land to build an altar there for God. The reason was just simply to halt the plague which had moved through the land. That's all it was. Upon learning David's purpose, Aruna was prepared to give him the land. Now, of interest here, though, is you, you must see this in Scripture, is that the Lord thy God accept thee, he said. The Lord thy God accept thee. So he did not say the Lord my God accept thee. So what's happening here is rather he referred to him as David's God, implied here as Aruna was a Gentile, and he was not a worshiper of Jehovah God. Now David, he was a king though, so David insisted on paying for it, and here's why. Here's why. It's a fearful thing to die for your sins without reconciliation with God. In other words, I need to pay for this. This is my mistake. Right? I, I'm the one that did this. Right? And I think about Jesus Christ paying for our sins when he was an innocent man. And he had to pay it in full. It wasn't a cheapened sacrifice, by the way. He gave it at all. He gave us his all. And that's what David was doing here, because it's a fearful thing to die for your sins without reconciliation. And I, I want to encourage anybody here, if you're dealing with a sin that you need to have under the blood of Christ, you need to be reconciled. And an altar is a place to do that. It's to come up there and confess it before him. And if you're unsaved, first give your life to Christ. So David insisted on paying for it, and here's why. It's just he, he just wanted the sin reconciled that he had caused. In Romans 5.10, For if when you were enemies you were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. I like 2 Corinthians 5, 2, 18 and 19. I needed to include this. And all, all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, but hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So Jesus paid the ultimate price for us, amen? And we know that. Uh, he paid it for our sins to reconcile us with God. He gave his life to save our life. He paid the full price in full. That's what David was attempting to do, to get right with God for his own sin. Only Jesus was doing it for the sin of the world, for every sinner that's in the world. And that brings me to my last reason. You know what God does at altars? He promises to clean up and to clear up things at the altar. That's what he does. He makes that promise. That's why they were established in the beginning. Life is in the blood. There's no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. It's amazing, all these verses, how they come together, isn't it? So God accepted that sacrifice of David, stopped the plague against the land, and this is why we have 1 John 1, 9. If you know it, say it with me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right. That's for the believer. You know, that verse seems to take legs at an altar call. If we confess, right, we're, we have a promise. If we're honest with God, we have a promise that he'll be faithful to forgive us and our sins. 
So the way to cleansing is always honesty with God. It's always a confession before God. And this, at an altar call, all that means is it just kind of takes legs at an altar call. It helps keep, us, helps keep us to have short accounts with God and with our Savior, because even though we might be saved, we can still fall into traps, and we can still fall into sins. So the way to cleansing is God. So why the altar call? You know, can't Jesus achieve what he wants to achieve in me just, that, just by just sitting here in my seat and confessing before him? The answer is absolutely yes. Yes, but here's what I've learned. If you're not willing to humble yourself and be willing to be vulnerable enough to come up an aisle to God, to an altar, while everyone is watching you, you won't be honest with God in your seat. Not totally honest. Because there's a reason you're holding back. So over the years, I'm just going to share this and we're through. Over the years, I have been critiqued, criticized, called out by many people for many things. But none more than my altar calls. Nothing more than my altar calls. And it makes many people feel uncomfortable. That's why. I've had several people leave my church, wherever I was, at the time, because I gave altar calls. They just said they don't think it's necessary, that it made them uncomfortable, and as a result, they closed their ears to the Holy Ghost commands, they missed the blessing that God was going to give them at the altar call. So the truth is, I've witnessed hundreds of miracles at the altar call. Hundreds. I, I, where lives were changed in the very moment, the exact moment they stepped out of their pew and made their way down to the altar. It was, a, it was the first time they got serious with God and God got his way with them was at that altar call. And nobody's going to convince me differently. I've watched alcohol consumers delivered from alcohol consumption. Uh, alcohol is Satan's poison, by the way. I've watched several marriages restored at an altar that I thought didn't, ha that I thought didn't have a chance to be restored. I've watched a young lady one time make her way to the altar, a teenage lady, a teenage girl, and, uh, and say she had messed up, and she said, that's it, Lord, I'm not taking anybody, uh, a, a, another, a man or boy, anything ever again unless you bring them to me. And stuck with that commitment until God brought that, her, uh, that uh, man to her to be married. I've watched... Estranged family members reunited at the altar and never to be separated again. I watched a lady one time over here, an older lady and her daughter over here that would come to church and never sit with each other, never talk with each other. They make their way in and make their way out. And one day she came to the altar, she came to the altar, and within five minutes they're both together at the altar and left and, and gives that testimony now to people all over the internet about how that day changed their lives. I've watched enemies become friends at the altar who previously couldn't be in the same room together. I have witnessed forgiveness at the altar, deliverance at the altar, renewal, restoration at the altar. In a moment, I'm going to give you an invite to, to come to this altar, and I want to tell you something. God can fix anything. And he can do it instantaneously sometimes. Does he always? know? But I've seen alcoholics come to the altar and leave and never drink again. So true story. You know, one of my altar calls, my deacon came forward. True story. He came forward to the altar 
knelt down, prayed, and then came up to me at the pulpit and he hugged me and he said this, please forgive me for the way I've treated you. You know what's funny about that statement? I didn't know he, didn't, he was treating me bad. I didn't even know he didn't like me. All right, I didn't know until that moment that he did that, that he didn't like me. He, he was more elaborate. I don't want to tell you all the things he said, but, but that changed that day, and he became one of my best friends. No one will ever be able to tell me that altar calls are not needed or not for today just because of a few who came to the altar without a sincere and humble intent to get right with God and then went their way and did everything just the way they used to do it. So while some may try to criticize altar calls, I have concrete evidence. I've witnessed it. Uh, they work and with hundreds of changed lives in the process. So I'm going to end with this illustration. Baptist preacher George Washington Truett, who started preaching long before Billy Graham, he told of this story. He said a girl of 17 died, and her father asked him to conduct her funeral. She was a member of the Pastor Truett's, Pastor Truett's church, but he was not. So he agreed to help him in, with the funeral. Then the father asked him to ride to the funeral with him in a horse and buggy, and as they rode along to the cemetery, the father said this, uh, Dr. Truett, he says, when you first came to town, I used to hear you preach every Sunday, never missed a Sunday morning message, and I literally had to hold on to my seat in front of me to keep me from going up front when you gave the invitation. When the congregation sang, just as I am, without one plea, he said, I did everything I could to stop myself from going forward. After the service, I'd walk the streets for hours, miserable, he said. I'd always end up giving God a promissory note. I would promise myself and promise to God that next Sunday, I would give my life to him and I will join the church. But then he said, as the invitations went on and the hymns were continuing to sing, I'd freeze. I couldn't step out into the aisle. I just couldn't do it, Dr. Truett. And then he said this, I know that you're a better preacher now than you were then, Dr. Truett. But now when I hear you preach, it doesn't move me at all. It doesn't move me at all. It wasn't the preaching that changed. It wasn't the preacher that changed. It was his constant rejection of the Holy Ghost pulling him to get right with God and him giving into his prideful flesh that changed that father you know, David had learned something, and it's something we all should learn. He never walked away from a conviction of God given by him with promissory notes. Ah, oh, yeah, I'll give my life to you. I'll give my life to you. I, you know, I, I understand I'm, I'm, I'm not saved, but I'll do it one day. I promise I will. Well, I know this is a, it's a minor sin, though. It's only hurting me. It's not hurting anybody else. So I, I'll... I'll I'll take care of it one day, Lord. I'll, I'll lay it at the altar, and, and, we'll, and it'll be taken care of at that point. Promissory notes. I'll, yeah, I'll do it one day, Lord. There may be somebody in the sanctuary right now that has heard the gospel over and over again through Pastor Horn, through me, through anybody else that preaches here, and they keep going out the door giving God a promissory note. I'll, I'll do it one day. You ever think that maybe today is the day? You know, this afternoon I'll share with you those things that happen at the altar, but for now, this is the time to open your heart to God. And if you haven't received him as your Savior, receive him right now as your Savior. And if you haven't been honest with God, now's the time to be honest with God with whatever it is you've been dealing with. You know, our theme is so much the more in 
2024. That's what our theme is. And um, that message is coming after our guest speaker next week. I'm going to preach a message just strictly about that. But if we're going to do so much the more for Jesus this coming year than we, than we did, did this past year, I want to, or, or, or years prior, the altar of our hearts is where it all begins. We've got to get to God, and we've got to get to him with urgency, and we've got to get to him with sincere, humble hearts and say, what is it, Lord, that I need to change or I need to do so that we can do so much more in 2024? So I wrote down here, if we're going to do so much more in this coming year than we did last year, we need to be better communicators with our God. Uh, we, need to, we need to let God change us to be more like Jesus. It, 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 to be as much like Jesus as we can and go back to doing things that he's asked us to do, like soul winning, you know, like you know, outreach. And then, and then, right, we also need to be honest and humble before God and say, clean me up. Or, or you could say this, clean up those areas I've messed up, like David did. <laughs> and stay the hand of God, right, from going any further and then uh, let it be the hand that blesses you and picks you up and carries you and moves you forward uh, for his purposes. So with that said, let's bow our heads for a moment. This, to me, is as serious as it gets. This is the moment between you and your God where God is wanting you to confess to him, allow him uh, to communicate with you, to change you, to clean you up. This is that moment. Um, and, and whatever it is, now is the time to meet with God, and it's the best place to do that is right at this altar. That's why I give an invitation, why I give an altar call. I don't know what you're dealing with right now. What has, been, what has God been trying to get you to do or deal with? Is it your salvation? Well, then come to the altar and get saved. You know, just come up. I'll, I'll talk to you. Mike will talk to you. Is it your service here? Well, just come and commit your life to greater service here in this church. Is it commitment to the church? Like maybe you haven't followed through with getting baptized or becoming a member or giving to the church that God would want you to give? I, I don't know. Is it a burden you haven't released? Come to God and, let, and get it released, right? Is it a blessing you haven't given or received because of your anger or because of your resentment or because of unforgiveness? Well, whatever it is, right, just come. And nobody, I don't know what's going on. Only God needs to know what's going on. It's only between you and him. So as the music plays, right, right now, whatever it is, you come if there's a reason to come. I never point any fingers at anybody and say, well, they should be up at the altar. I know what they're doing in their daily private lives. I, nobody ever does that. At least I don't ever do that. It's just when God your heart, prompts your heart to do something, the right answer is, to do it. And you can do that right now. So Debbie, if you'd just play for a moment. This is an unusual type of invitation right now this morning, probably one like you've never seen. But if God's speaking to you about something that you haven't been happy about or you've been struggling with and you haven't addressed it, uh, now's the time to address it. The altar's open. Just make your way up and just kneel down or stand there. Sometimes it's hard to kneel. I understand there's bad knees and there's, there's uh, hips that are whatever it is. 
that God is taking you through right now. He's trying to reveal, he's trying to change you or clean you up. Or he just maybe wants to just communicate with you for once with a sincere attitude. In other words, not just that flippant prayer that we give and we're so good at, like at a meal. No, a heartfelt, wrenching, urgent cry unto God that says, Lord, I, I just need to hear from you right now, that's all. And if you're unsaved here today, is there anybody by the raised hand would say, I don't know, I'm going to heaven, I'm not sure I'm saved. Is there anybody by the raised hand would, would uh, tell me that? I won't pick you out by name, I'll just say amen. Anybody in here right now doesn't know absolutely for sure they're saved? Well, that's good. I'm hoping everybody is. But I want to tell you something. If you're not sure, the author's going to be the place, probably one of the best places to go to settle that issue. Because a preacher or one of a deacon or a board member will probably meet you right here and they'll talk to you about your salvation and give it to you from the Word of God. Do you know, I know I'm not the greatest preacher in the world, but I know who is. His name is Jesus Christ. Through the Holy Ghost. He's the one that reaches in. Goes deep. Goes into the darkest closet. The deepest crevice. He pulls out that little thing that you keep trying to hide away. You just keep trying to hide away. And he says, if I can just get that out of you, I can change you. was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.